Hello and welcome to the TID Water and Power Podcast. I'm your host, Constance Anderson, and on this month's episode, we're discussing the TID Owner's Dam Safety Program and the dams and facilities under the district's jurisdiction. May 31st is National Dam Safety Day and an important reminder of TID's dedication to dam safety and the importance of dam safety for our community. Many know that TID operates Don Pedro and LaGrange dams, but most don't realize TID is actually responsible for five facilities. Even fewer understand the work that goes into inspecting and ensuring these facilities are safe for operation. On this episode, I'm joined by TID Deputy Chief Dam Safety Engineer, Evan Lucas, to discuss the district's robust dam safety program, the various facilities under TID's control, and what goes into inspecting and maintaining these facilities. Evan, thank you for joining us. Oh, Constance, Brandon, thank you very much for having me. So let's start with a background question. Um, Evan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background with the district? Yeah, uh, I actually just passed my four-year anniversary in April. Uh, I started off here as an associate civil engineer, uh, just recently been promoted to senior civil engineer. Um, but my functional role with the district is the deputy chief dam safety engineer uh, position. Perfect. And what can you tell us about the duties of the deputy chief dam safety engineer? Very similar to what the chief dam safety engineer does, just uh, he is the formal person. So he has all the responsibility. His signature shows up on all the documents. But uh, for the most part, I, I prepare the documents, give him the updates and pretty much tell him, you know, hey, we're moving in the right direction. Good, good. Uh, what sort of qualifications are required or how do you become the deputy chief dam safety engineer? So it's really, it's based upon our owner's dam safety program or ODSP. That kind of labels out a succession planning. Um, that that details that, you know, the deputy chief dam safety engineer should be somebody with a professional engineering license, um, typically with a civil background, whether that's in geotechnical or in my case, a structural background. But really, it's just the the chief dam safety engineer in training, if you will. Um, you know, I'm supposed to know, you know, just as much as, as Tim, our chief dam safety engineer does. Um, but, you know, he still has all the authority in the end. Okay, very good. So kind of a shadowing sort of experience for you as you kind of learn, like you mentioned, everything that the, the chief dam safety engineer is required to know. Yep. Okay, very good. So if I'm correct, in 2012, the district hired its first chief dam safety engineer, and that was when the Owner's Dam Safety Program, or ODSP as you mentioned, um, kind of came to fruition for TID. Is that correct? That would be correct. So that's when the ODSP became a formal document for you know the uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or the FERC regulator. Um, prior to that, you know, the dam safety still existed. Obviously, we've had a number of facilities since the late 1800s. Somebody was in charge of those. Typically, that position was filled by the uh, civil department manager, um, at which point in 2012, it became a, an official CDSE position. And that was filled by uh, Peggy Harding, who was an ex-FERC regional engineer out of the Chicago office. So she was definitely very familiar with what FERC was looking for, what the program needed to look like. Um, so she actually built us a very robust uh, program that we've just been building upon ever since she developed it. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, and that's an important point to note that even though the the formalized program has been in place since 2012, TID has obviously been in in the in the weeds with dam safety since uh, the building of our our first facilities, as you mentioned at the end of the 1800s. Yep, somebody had to be responsible for it. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So since 2012, when the ODSP was first formalized at TID, how has the dam safety department changed um, in, in that period? So for us personally, we moved from our civil department uh, to our power supply administration because the CDSC position morphed into a, a two-headed um, being at that point. You, you still had the dam safety aspect, but with the Don Pedro life extension, uh, both of those realms were brought under under his uh, under Tim's umbrella. Um, so now we proceed with that. Both of that, you know, we have Tim as our chief dam safety engineer, myself as the deputy. But also in our power plant engineering department, we have two mechanicals. And then uh, I'm going to do a shameless plug here, but we have an open electrical engineering position as well that we've been trying to fill. Um, so anybody out there in the listening world, if you want to 
see some really awesome stuff that's, you know, really once in a lifetime career type thing, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's a great plug. And we'll put that job posting in our show notes. So when the department moved under power supply then, how did that change the role of, of the department? You mentioned that there are kind of the two functions, and, and we'll talk about the life extension project here in a minute. I want to ask you about that. Um, but did that kind of raise the um, visibility or the, the I don't want to say level of importance because it's always been important, but um, did that change the, the role in any way? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, it really some of the projects that we would have done as a dam safety perspective anyways kind of got morphed into the life extension at that point. Uh, you know, I recently completed uh, some rock fall around the canyon walls in there. You know, really that could have been as a life extension as a dam safety type thing. Um, but, you know, that's where we've just, we've segmented it. We, we've definitely brought on a lot more projects. Um, you know, now for me, I'm doing a lot of mechanical and electrical projects just because, you know, an overarching civil project has those breakdowns where it's that some of that work still needs to get completed. But it definitely doesn't take away from what we do as uh, the dam safety program. All right. That sounds like a fascinating role. So what is TID's role in regards to dam safety and flood control? So TID really uses Don Pedro as the flood control buffer between us and uh, the Sierra Mountains. Um, you know, obviously we have the hydropower generation facility there. We have it across multiple other uh, reservoirs as we move down our system. But the main brunt of Don Pedro, why it was created, was to be that that flood control resource. And then also we get the uh, the irrigation out of it as well. So as the Deputy Chief Dam Safety Engineer, you're in charge of the ODSP, or Owner's Dam Safety Program, as we had, had mentioned earlier. Uh, what can you tell us about the program specifically? So uh, it's an all-encompassing document. Um, you know, it, it lays out what each level looks like, you know, our board has a responsibility. Our GM has responsibility, obviously the chief dam safety engineer, but it trickles all the way down to, you know, there's not a whole lot at TID that doesn't have a responsibility within dam safety. Um, you know, our powerhouse guys, those are, those are the boots on the ground. They're the first ones there. They see a lot of it. They see the daily change. Um, it becomes more of a managing the risk versus eliminating risks. You know, there's no true way to eliminate all the risk, but the district does do its best to, to manage it. So you've kind of talked a little bit about some of the the roles within the district and how that kind of rolls up into the the ODSP. Um, what else is included in the in the program? Uh, so it talks about um, you know our annual training. So the CDSE and the deputy CDSE to make sure they stay on the forefront of the dam safety realm. Um, they are required by the ODSP to go to a yearly conference, and really that allows us to network with other owners with other uh, regulatory agencies, um, sometimes even with consultants, just to figure out, you know, what are they doing on at their projects? You know, how does it relate to, to us? Is there something we can modify? Um, you know, the ODSP is a living document. It's uh, reviewed annually by the CDSE. And then every five years, it's reviewed by an outside consultant just to make sure it, everything is still, you know, best management practices. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I would imagine too, just the, the, having the perspective of others who work in this realm would be beneficial as you talked about the, you know, to understand kind of the pitfalls that they're going through and how they're getting around those might be similar to something that TID would experience. So it's nice to have those contacts that have, have been there and done it. Oh yeah. It's definitely great to learn from others. You know, we, we do glean from a lot from others, uh, what they're going through, you know, especially with the life extension. You know, there's other agencies out there that have, have gone through that recently. Um, likewise, you know, there's stuff that we've been doing, that, uh, you know, it's great to report on to let others know and kind of give them the heads up that, hey, you know, this is how we achieved it. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of people maybe maybe get a little stuck. Sure, absolutely. All right. Uh, and then what about reporting? So we, we obviously maintain our facilities. We keep track of what's going on there. But is there some sort of reporting that's required as to what's happening with our facilities? Yeah, so quarterly, every one of our facilities gets inspected. Uh, whether it's the chief dam safety engineer or the deputy chief dam safety engineer. Um, but every time we, we have one of those, we've been using some new technology that allows us to really walk around and, you know, keep track of 
all of these little tasks on our phone. So we're able to write it down, you know, hey, there was an issue with the embankment here. I can take a photo. I can put that in there real quick. Um, it allows us really to streamline our inspection reports. So, you know, we have four, uh, four inspection reports each year for uh, five different facilities. That's 20 reports. Uh, on top of that, we also have an annual FERC inspection of Don Pedro and LaGrange. We have annual um, Division of Safety of Dams, DSOD, uh, this is the state of California at that point. They inspect Don Pedro, LaGrange, uh, Dawson, and Turlock. Um, and then once every five years, based upon our FERC license requirement, we bring in what's called an independent consultant, IC, and they do a full comprehensive review. And that's where a lot of the, the true thinking and in, in the in-depth study comes from, is those five-year reviews. Oh, very cool. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up the inspections because I want to uh, dive into that a little bit more. Um, what typically goes into these inspections? Lots and lots of photos. Um, you know, comparisons year over year, very important for us to see how this is really changing or if it's not changing at all. Hopefully it's not changing at all. Um, but we also walk all the facilities when we do these inspections. Um, you know, we're, we can fly in with drones, but we tend to take the... You know, firsthand view is, is a lot better. Um, so we'll walk all the crests. We walk downstream toes. We walk groins. You know, some of the facilities like Don Pedro, they take quite, quite a while to do that. You know, a imagine. lot of steps in that day for sure. Um, but that's, you know, it, it's important for us to visually see that. You know, we do carry binoculars with us in case we do want to try and see something far across. But, you know, it's nice to get out there and just really view it firsthand from our, uh, from our own. And, and speaking of visually... You mentioned the, the crest, the toe, and the groin. Can you kind of describe for us where these areas are on the dams? Yeah. So the crest is obviously the top. You know, that's where you typically have your driveway or your road. Um, you know, for Don Pedro, that'd be Bonds Flat on the crest. Um, the toe uh, could be either upstream or downstream. Upstream being reservoir side, downstream being, you know, the river side at that point. Um that's at the very base. So for Don Pedro, that'd be where on the downstream side it's the powerhouse. That's that's where that occurs. Obviously, the upstream side is just the reservoir water surface level that day. Um, and the groins, that's where um, the dam, the embankment, or the concrete uh, meet the adjacent canyon walls. So you kind of form that groin, as we call it. Okay, very good. Thanks for that. That's helpful. All right. So this might be kind of a silly question, but one side of Don Pedro Dam is hopefully submersed in water how do you inspect something that's that's submersed in water very good question uh when we're in droughts like this you know we do take advantage of the lower reservoir so that we can see a lot more typical pool elevation around the july time frame would hopefully be 830 which is the normal maximum pool um with the minimum crest elevation at 855 at don pedro that only leaves us 25 feet above water um, right now we're hovering around 760 at the time of this recording. Um, so that gives us an extra 70 feet that we can now view. Um, so we do, you know, we definitely, we want to see Don Pedro full, but we do take advantage of these times to make sure we are inspecting what we can see. Okay. And we, we hope that that's a, a unique and a limited opportunity. Definitely. All right. So when you're doing these inspections, as you mentioned, you know, Don Pedro is a, a big facility. So how long does it typically take to complete an inspection like this? We dedicate a full day to it. it um, between Don Pedro, you know, the main dam itself, there are three other uh, dikes that surround us um, in addition to it. Um, similar construction as the, as the main one. But uh, obviously just the sheer size of it, 585 feet, top all the way down to the bottom of the river. Um, it takes a lot of time. Um, but we also inspect uh, our controlled spillway and then our auxiliary spillway at that time as well. So there's a lot to see at Don Pedro. Yeah, absolutely. And it really seems like TID takes more of a proactive approach versus a, a reactive approach to, to dam safety. Um, what, what can you tell us about that and that sort of philosophy? As you mentioned, you know, proactive, we try to stay up on things. Our underdrain system at, at the controlled spillway was kind of an issue. You know, how do you get in there and inspect it? Um, that led us to kind of come up with an idea 
that in order to clean these things out and to really get those longer visual inspections, we came up with an auger system. I can't even say we, you know, as really as the TID shop. Um, those guys, they, they've done it before and uh, they knew exactly how to tackle that issue. So I definitely give them their credit. Um, but a lot of other owners didn't know how to do it. Um, you know, I gave a, a presentation a couple of years ago at PG&E for a lot of what we call the West Coast Hydro users. And I had a couple of questions afterwards, you know, hey, how's it working? So I, I ended up sending out my presentation to a few different uh, agencies just to help them out. Absolutely. It kind of goes back to what we spoke about before, having your network of folks in the industry that, you know, you can learn from or that, that they can learn from you. Most definitely. So that's great. Okay. So speaking of, of having that network, what, what are some of the agencies that we partner with, uh, with regard to TID's owner's dam safety program? So the way we view it from the dam safety aspect is we have two regulators, you know, we have the division of safety of dams, DSOD, which is part of, uh, California's DWR department of water resources. Um, and then we also have FERC, uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Really, that's they're tied to the hydropower aspect, but they look at the dams very closely as well. So between FERC and DSOD, two different perspectives. And then we also work with the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, they're the ones who originally developed the flood control manual for Don Pedro back in the late 50s. Um, so when we go to make those releases, whether it's in you know the 2017 flood where we only opened up the center gate, or in 97, when we had that Pineapple Express and we had to open up all three gates and use our auxiliary spillway at that point. Um, all that is based upon their original manual. There have been some minor tweaks to it over the years. Um, like 2017, we used uh, a, a slight deviation to operate a little bit differently, but it worked to both the district's advantage and also the Army Corps. So we discussed earlier that the formal implementation of TID's owner's dam safety program occurred in 2012, but I understand that uh, there was some new legislation that impacted uh, the program in 2017. What, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so that 2017 legislation stemmed from the Orville incident, which really occurred at their controlled spillway, started with the controlled spillway where they lost a segment of their, their chute. Um, that allowed, that forced them into using their auxiliary spillway, which then had some erosion issues. Um, so a lot of, you know, both of those, uh, issues occurring led both FERC and DSOD to require that high hazard facilities, not every high hazard facility to, uh, to conduct those, but specific ones. Um, Don Pedro fit that bill. We got the letter from both of them. And that's when we had to go down the avenue of these focused spillway assessments that, you know, we started in 2017, it had to be completed by the end of that year. Um, and then we've since then been picking apart, you know, other studies, looking further, doing um, some additional work. Um, but yeah, that all started in 2017 with the Oroville incident. Okay. And, and speaking of other facilities, how does TID's program compare to programs for other dams in the, in the state? As I mentioned, you know, ours is very robust. It was developed by a retired FERC regional engineer. Um, she knew what FERC would be looking for, so she really tailored it, tailored it to that. And we've just been building upon it ever since. Um, we were part of CIADI. I know CIADI has a dam safety security matrix out there that they've been developing to help other owners develop these ODSPs as they're now a requirement. But Ours was very robust. You know, uh, we haven't had to make a lot of changes over the years. That's great. And why is it so important to have a program like this in place? Uh, it's, it's all about keeping the public safe. You know, um, there's a million people who live downstream of Don Pedro. It's very important to make sure that each one of those people go home at night. Um, you know, I myself live down underneath here. My family does, you know, it, there's, there's a certain pride, you know, a certain responsibility that we have to ensure that occurs. Um, but it's also, we're there to keep the district operating too. I mean, as I mentioned before, we got five different facilities. Any one of those five facilities goes out, we have issues with our irrigation system. Um, you know, that's obviously the lifeblood of the Central Valley. We got to keep that moving forward. So that really, that falls falls on the CDSE and the deputy CDSE's uh, shoulders. Very good. I think most people know that TID operates the Don Pedro Project, and I'll put in my plug here that you can learn more about 
the Don Pedro Project. If you listen to episode two of the podcast, um, where we talk about uh, Don Pedro and, and its 50th anniversary. Um, but let's talk about all of the facilities that fall under the, the district's jurisdiction. Um, can you tell us about uh, kind of what the scope of all those facilities are? Yeah, well, so we have five different hydro facilities, um, a total of 28 dams, um, uh, most of which are earthen embankment with the exception being LaGrange. We have a, a wide range, you know, obviously Don Pedro, the crown jewel of the district, um, very large, but all the way down to, you know, some of our facilities at Turlock Lake. You know, if you're driving down Lake Road, you might not even notice you just passed over a, or passed by a dam. Um, you know, if you're using the the swimming area at Turlock Lake, there's two dams right there. You'd, you'd never know. But, you know, the chief dam safety engineer knows and we uh, we inspect them as, as, we, as we should. Absolutely. And I'm glad you know where they are. That makes me feel better. Um, so how do you identify what improvements are needed? Obviously, you know, you talked about the inspection process, and so there might be some things that come out of these inspections, but uh, how else do you identify what improvements are needed and, and how often are improvements made on these structures? So obviously the, the visual inspection that we do quarterly, that's our first line of defense to figure out, you know, is there vegetation issues growing somewhere? Um, has something developed over the last three months that we, that we didn't notice before. Um, but we're also using a lot of technology too. You know, uh, drones are becoming a big part of it. Um, we've kind of gotten into 3d scans. We've done a number of them across different facilities. Um, so, you know, you set that baseline much like a photo log, you set the baseline and you see if it's, if it's changing itself. Um, so, you know, we're, we're not sitting around trying to force, uh, maintenance or something like that, but we do want to stay on the forefront of it and make sure that these facilities are well-maintained. Absolutely. I know TID is always looking for the newest technology that we can implement to kind of inform, help inform our decision-making. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the technology or, or instruments that, that you use specifically? Yeah. So Don Pedro was outfitted with a number of uh, instruments upon its original construction. Uh, some of them have been abandoned, uh, so we don't use them anymore today, but uh, we still have in place the pneumatic, pneumatic piezometers. Um, you know, it's it's one of our one of our key instruments that we have at the at the dam. And I'm sorry, that was a pneumonic piezometer. Pneumatic. Pneumatic. Yeah. I'm sorry, pneumatic piezometer, which sounds like something that might have been featured in Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah. So the pneumatic piezometer actually uses nitrogen um, to push on a diaphragm, and that tells you how much uh, water head might be pushing back on it. Um, so really, you're able to create. Uh, a 2D phreatic surface, if you will, um, that shows you how the water is moving through the dam itself. Um, so is it behaving the way it should? You know, is it is it diving down where we're expecting it, the clay core? Uh, is it making its way out of the the seepage weir? Um, that's what we're looking for in that, in that stuff. Um, as I mentioned, it's 50 years old. It's been giving us a number of problems over the years. You know, some have had to be abandoned, um, but we're doing what we can to make sure we keep those uh, operational. They, they do provide us value. Excellent. And and some of those instruments that have been abandoned, were they intended to function for the life of the dam or was that something that was kind of had its useful life and, and now that's over? Yeah, definitely had its useful life and now it was over. Um, a lot of them were meant to just get like initial settlement. Um, you know, a very large, almost 95% of the settlement of Don Pedro occurred within the first two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now, you know, some of those settlements those, those devices were no longer needed. Uh, likewise, with the piezometers, you know, they're definitely well past their life expectancy, but we're, we're just doing what we can to make sure we keep them going because they are providing still reliable information. Okay. So 50 years later, is it, is it safe to say that Don Pedro has, has pretty much done all the settling it's going to do? Uh, you know, it, there's minor changes year over year, not a whole lot. You no, know, definitely our, our thresholds have uh, come way, way down to make sure we do see if we do have those minor movements, we're talking about a tenth of a foot a year. If we see something like that, that uh, flags something for us. You know, that's kind of what we go through. It's not necessarily we're throwing up red flags that something occurred. We try to get to the bottom of it. Okay. So I understand there is a classification system to dams. How can you explain to us how the TID dams are classified? Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's probably something that gets a little misconstrued. Um, when it comes to Don Pedro, uh, we have two different classification, hazard classifications. You have a uh, FERC high hazard classification, but DSOD takes that classification one step further and they call it extremely high hazard. Um, 
it doesn't mean that we have a damn safety issue. It's not based upon that. So that, <laughs> that's why I wanted to pinpoint, you know, the, the true difference. Um, you know, it's only based upon what the downstream impacts are with regards to life. Um, at least when it comes to the high hazard aspects, um, significant and the low, obviously low means there's no, no life expectancy loss, uh, significant, you know, there might be some other factors playing into it. Um, but yeah, definitely it's a life safety issue. It is not a, oh, TID might have an issue at Don Pedro. So the state of California has told them you're extremely high hazard at that point. Got it. So the extremely high hazard, as you as you mentioned, refers to basically who is downstream of the dam and should something go wrong, how many how many lives would be impacted? Is that is that a fair way to categorize yeah, that? Yeah, uh, an estimate of how many lives would be lost, yeah. All right. So high, extreme high hazard, not necessarily a bad thing, just for clarification, um, just means that there are a lot of people that are that rely on us every day to make sure that everything's functioning properly. Yep. Very good. Okay. So let's go into a little bit more in depth um, on each of these structures then. We've, we've talked a little bit about New Don Pedro already, um, but can you tell us about kind of the specific components of what makes up the Don Pedro project? Yeah, and I like that you mentioned the New Don Pedro. Um, there was an original Don Pedro constructed or finished construction back in 1923. It was a concrete arch. Um, it had a spillway off to the right abutment. Um, so left to right is always determined by looking downstream. Um, but that facility is now obviously inundated. You know, the original Don Pedro had about a 300,000 acre feet of storage. Um, we've now brought that up with new Don Pedro at 585 feet tall um, to just a hair over 2 million acre feet. Um, so about two thirds of a mile upstream is the original Don Pedro site, obviously now submerged underwater. And what can you tell us kind of about the, about the new facility? Yeah, so it was completed in 1971. Um, it's a zoned earth rocket fill uh, embankment dam. Um, it means it just has a bunch of different layers, almost kind of like an onion. Uh, you know, if you're driving along Bonds Flat, you look on the upstream side, you can see the large rocks out there. It's called riprap. Those are there to protect the the soil fines below it um, from that wave action. Uh, from, as the wind pushes the waves up onto it, you know, you don't want that washing away the dam. Um, from there, you have what's called transition zones uh, on both sides of the clay core. Really, the clay core in the middle is the the meat and potatoes of it. Um, as I mentioned before, those bosometers are picking up the phreatic surface. As that water uh, hits that clay core, that phreatic surface is really supposed to drop down. Um, so really, it, it's supposed to stop the water trying to migrate through the dam. Um, you know, we don't stop everything. So, you know, there is a certain amount of seepage, as we call it, that comes through the dam. Um, but based upon the clay core and the filter drain behind it, we're able to push that seepage to the place that we want it to go. We measure it. We we're always looking at it. Um, you know, our powerhouse guys take uh, twice a month readings of it. And we just we're verifying to make sure everything is staying in accordance with the way it should be behaving. Okay. So again, for clarification purposes, there is seepage through the dam, but it's intended to be there. It's it's designed for it. Yeah. It's designed for yeah. it. Very good. Okay. So Don Pedro Dam, uh, you mentioned 585 feet tall. How does that that rank amongst other dams in the in the state? So it's actually the ninth tallest dam in the United States. In the United States. Yeah. Okay. Um, which makes us, it, it puts us on a different level. You know, normally those tall dams are owned and operated by either a federal agency or somebody like, uh, you know, Orville is, is managed by DWR. So, you know, being a small utility district, it's to have something like that in your portfolio is uh, is a little more of an anomaly than it is the the norm. Sure. Uh, and what about the other components of, of New Don Pedro? Yeah, so you have a 203 megawatt uh, clean carbon-free hydropower facility. Um, we have, as I mentioned before, a controlled spillway with three gates. Um, and you have a 995-foot-long auxiliary spillway, an OG crest weir that uh, really just passively passes the water. Um, as We also have three other dikes, uh, dikes A, B, and C, we had some very, very rough naming schedules or naming <laughs> schemes on that one. Uh, and then we have Gasberg Creek. Um, Gasberg Dyke is located on the spillway channel itself. So if you're driving along Bonds Flat and you look outside of the reservoir rim, you'll see a large embankment structure sitting there off of the channel. Um, and that's just meant to divert and keep water within the Gasberg Creek as it makes its way back down to the Tuolumne River. 
Okay. And I, I'm glad you mentioned Bonds Flat Road uh, because there, that kind of has a, a unique relationship with our spillway structure. What, what can you tell us about that? So uh, as you're driving down Bonds Flat Road, you can see that uh, it's in the way of our spillway system. Um, so in 2017, you know, Wes was able to put together um, some forecasts and realize we're going to have to spill. So a week ahead of time, our crews were able to go in and, and remove Bonds Flat uh, preemptively. Uh, in 97, we had that Pineapple Express and we let Mother Nature take out the road for us. But it is one of those things, you know, it does shut down Bonds Flat. We have uh, public safety plans in place that if we do have to operate, you know, we, we have to put up those K-rails. Um, you know, it does force everybody to either drive around through Moccasin or to come through the, down to LaGrange. So obviously, you know, twice in 50 years, um, you know, not a, not a large reoccurrence, but uh, when it does happen, it, you know, it does cause some issues. Okay. All right. So you've you've uh, mentioned the kind of the schedule of inspections and sort of what goes into those. Uh, is there anything unique about the inspections of Don Pedro? Are there any characteristics of, of Don Pedro that stand out? Yeah. So, you know, the, the designers, um, they knew that conduits through an embankment dam are not very good. Um, so both the diversion and the power tunnels of Don Pedro go through the left abutment or the, the canyon, if you, or I'm sorry, the mountainside, if you will. Um, and then the power tunnel curves back, what we call the, the S-curve, curves back into the powerhouse itself. But both of those structures are through the mountainside. So we don't have that open conduit that could cause a dam safety issue. And I know, as we've even mentioned in, in this episode, um, Don Pedro often gets compared to Oroville Dam. Um, can you kind of break down for us how those two facilities actually do compare to each other? Yeah. So both structures, similar vintages, you know, they're both the the zoned earth rockville embankments. Um, both have controlled spillways, auxiliary spillway. You know, ours is a much shorter spillway shoot system than theirs. Um, we have, we don't have the gradients that they have as well on both our controlled and our auxiliary spillways. Um, ours is a much more shallow, um, nice, gentle until it hits just before Bonds Flat, and that's when the, the gradient really starts to pick up. But um, Oroville operates their gates a lot more than we do. As I mentioned, we've only operated twice. You know, We wash out Bonds Flat, so we try to avoid operating those gates as much as possible. Uh, Oroville is able to just release right into the river, um, so they don't have that kind of constraint. Okay. And... and a little bit about the the difference in operations, as you mentioned in 2017. How did we operate differently than Oroville did during that phase? Yeah, we actually took a slight deviation, and we, you know, the Army Corps agreed um, that allowed us to open up before 8:30. So the Army Corps Flood Control Manual st states that you will wait until 8:30, at which point. And 8:30 is the elevation. Yeah, 8:30 okay. is the elevation. I apologize. Yeah, 8:30 is the uh, the top of the gates that we have. So when they're closed. And then also 830 is the top of our OG crest. So anything above that would overtop the gates or would overtop the, the weir itself. And the OG crest, OG refers to? OG is a shape. Okay. Yeah. So it's just kind of a, a more oval shape with a, a, an apron kind of tailed off to one end. Just creates that nice, gentle, just flow across the top of it. So uh, we were able to take that deviation. Um, we opened it up prior to 830. That allowed us to only open up um, the center shoot gate for the duration of our spill in 2017. Um, obviously in 97, we had to go all three gates uh, and we we still had sent some flow over the top of the auxiliary. That was more because we waited towards that 8.30 timeframe. Um, but, you know, I think we opened up the gates around 8.27, 8.28, somewhere in there. So preemptively, we were able to buffer out those large inflows that were coming down the mountain and just keep it at the single gate. Okay, great. So one thing that I wanted to ask you about, I understand that TID has sort of gone into a, uh, I don't know if you'd classify it as a partnership, um, but a, pro, a pilot program that you're working on with FERC um, with regard to some of these proactive measures that we've talked about. Can you tell us a little bit about that program and kind of what TID uh, stands to, to gain from that program? So once every five years, we have uh, what's called an independent consultant inspe inspection. 
Um, they generated a report out of that. But one of the big ones that comes with that is what's called a potential failure modes analysis, a PFMA session. Bunch of subject matter experts, the owner, uh, FERC, we kind of, we gather in a room and we, we think about, you know, what are ways that Don Pedro could fail? Not saying that it will fail, of course, but what kind ways- of, Kind of worst case scenarios. Worst case scenarios, yeah. Okay. Just trying to, you know, think outside the box. You know, no idea is a bad idea at that point. Um, and then from there- you would weed out, you would narrow the focus, right? You know, that's plausible. You know, let's categorize that. That was based upon the old PFMA session. So a few years ago, uh, FERC released some draft guidelines um, related to what's called an SQRA, a semi-qualitative risk assessment. This brings in likelihood and consequences into the equation. Um, and you plot that on an XY chart, if you will. Um, so really, they were looking for kind of owners to help join this pilot program, help develop the draft guidelines that they had out there. Uh, TID came up for their uh, five-year review in 2021, and we decided, you know, hey, let's let's jump on with this. You know, we're, we've talked about being proactive. That's definitely one of the proactive measures that we've taken. Um, so we participated, um, and we learned so much more about our, our system than under the traditional PFMA session. Um, but it brings into, you know, the life loss uh, consequences, you know, the likelihood. You, we categorized all this and it, it gave us an all-encompassing portfolio at Don Pedro. You know, what are our issues? Um, as I mentioned before, you know, we can't eliminate all risk. There are, but we can try to minimize them. And really that identified, you know, some areas that, hey, you know, this plotted really high for us. What can we do to drive down that risk? You know, what measures can we take? So kind of getting back to your projects, there could be projects that come out of that. Um, and there will, I'm, I'm already kicking one off later this month, just trying to drive down that specific risk. What can we do to attack that? Not, can't really change, you know, the, the life loss likelihood at that point. Um, but we can drive down, down that risk and drive down the overall portfolio, um, consequence. Got it. Drive down that, that risk and that probability that it might actually be something that comes to fruition. So whatever activities and, and projects we can build against that to try and drive that that likelihood down. Yep. And we're talking about orders of magnitude here, you know, one in 10,000, one in 100,000. That's, you know, that's what we're looking at when it comes to reoccurrence intervals. Well, and that just goes to show how far TID takes these safety measures, right? That we're looking at these, you know, one in 10,000, one in 100,000, that even those still way heavily on our radar. Yep. Very good. All right. So speaking of, of big projects, uh, there's one going on at, at Don Pedro right now. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about the Don Pedro Life Extension Project? Yeah. So this is a, a multi, multi-year project. Um, you know, Don Pedro finished in 1971, um, has operated fantastically the last 50 years, but it's in need of maintenance. So really the main brunt of the work being done for the life extension project is on the powerhouse itself. Obviously the concrete of the powerhouse, you know, that's, that's pretty good, but the, the units themselves, we're looking to upgrade all four units. Um, we've gone through, we've, we've pulled out a lot of the piping, just replaced it, old carbon steel, rusted out stuff. Um, you know, the goal of the life extension is to get Don Pedro to run another 50 years. Um, so we do that. We have that in mind on every project that we accomplished there. Very good. And you mentioned earlier the the Rockfall project that you were working on. That's part of the Don Pedro Life Extension project? Yeah. Yeah. So when they originally built Don Pedro, anywhere they did a cut slope, they put uh, some rock bolt anchors in and some chain link fence, but they left the other large rocks above really kind of untouched. Um, and so we felt it was prudent to go up there and, and do some mitigation efforts. Um, so we came back through with a, uh, we laid down a very large amount of um, high energy absorption panels across the the slope directly above the powerhouse. So, you know, it was very tricky. We're doing it in the middle of summer, obviously Ooh. large load time at that point. So the powerhouse was operational, but we had to get that stuff on the slope. Um, so we utilize, utilize helicopters at that point. Oh, wow. Very cool. Okay. All right. So let's move uh, down the, the TID system from Don Pedro to the LaGrange Diversion Dam. What can you tell us about LaGrange? Yeah, LaGrange uh, sits about two miles downstream of Don Pedro, but it's the original for the district. You know, obviously the district was built or was uh, formed in 1887. You know, we're now passing 135 years this year. I'm wearing my shirt today. Uh, but LaGrange Diversion Dam was completed in 1893. 
Um, they brought in Italian masons. Uh, they quarried the rock locally. Um, they imported uh, cement from Belgium, brought wow. it all the way into the port of Stockton, put it on horseback, brought it all the way up to LaGrange. So, you know, short trip. Um, <laughs> and then they, it took them a couple of years to build it. Um, there's five different portals in uh, LaGrange that they used to pass the river at that point while they were building. So they started on one side, um, pass the river off to the adjacent side. And as they built up, they started to come across and, and force water back through. Um, they did hit so a large winter one year uh, that really flooded them out, literally. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but they were able to accomplish it and they were they got it done by uh, 1893. Um, so it sits originally uh, when it was constructed, it sat at 127 and a half feet. At the time, it was the largest overpour uh, dam in the entire world. Wow. Yeah. Um, it went through a couple different changes. Um, as you mentioned, it's LaGrange Diversion Dam. So really for us, we use that as how we divert water from Don Pedro, being released from Don Pedro into the TID and the MID canal systems. So in um, the 20s, they decided to raise that 18 inches. And in the 30s, they raised it another 24 inches to help increase hydraulics as they push that water through our systems. Great. So then it currently sits at a height, uh, if I'm doing my math correctly, of 131 feet? Yep. Yeah. And it has a, a small reservoir behind it. Really, you know, it's it's the Tuolumne River and we're just trying to divert that water, but we store about 60 acre feet behind it. Okay. And unlike Don Pedro, as you mentioned, LaGrange Dam is designed to overtop. It's an overtop dam. Correct. Yep. So in uh, 97, 2017, we had significant amount of water height over the top of them. Um, every year, you know, we, we have to conduct uh, fish pulse flows um, to make sure the fish have enough to move up into their bedding spots. Um, and we'll over the top, the, we'll over top the dam at that point as well. Um, probably the most beautiful view in the district. Uh, sorry, it's not open to the public. I apologize. <laughs> I get to keep that one to myself, but it's just, it's simply amazing to just sit there and watch the water just cascade over the top. And as it's shooting up the mist. Yeah. Um, uh, well, and I think equally amazing is the fact that, as you mentioned, built in 1893 and serves the very same purpose today that it did when it was originally constructed. Yep. Unchanged. That's, that's something. That's yeah. pretty impressive craft, craftsmanship right there. Most definitely. All right. So uh, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but what are the structures that make up the LaGrange Diversion Dam? Yeah. So you have the uh, the stone arch. Um, you know, the arch is used to push it on the adjacent uh, abutment walls to really dissipate those forces of the water behind it. Um, you have the MID, the TID canal systems. You know, specifically for the TID, you have what we call the intake structure. It has three gates on it. That's what draws water into our four bay um, through the tunnel there. Um, and then from the from the four bay, really, we're able to release it into our main or upper main canal system, or we can send it back to the river, whether it's through a series of sluice gates or the powerhouse itself. Um, we have a 4.9 megawatt, uh, two unit system there inside the powerhouse that was constructed originally back in 1923, finished construction back then. And those units are still both original as well. So uh, going back to the inspection topic, uh, what goes into the inspections at LaGrange? Uh, one of the first projects that I worked on here at the district was uh, redoing our crest fall protection system at LaGrange. Um, that fall protection system allows us to walk across the crest and look down the 131 feet on one side. Um, but it's just a series of uh, anchors and, you know, we string a, a stainless steel cable through it and we clamp ourselves in, but it allows us to get up and close and personal with, you know, the rock, the top of the rock, and then also those two different crest caps that they placed. Now, is that sort of inspection, you know, scaling the crest of, of LaGrange Dam, is that something that you want to do or is that something you have to do? Uh, you know, it's pretty fun. You know, I, this is one of the things as me being the designer of that crest wall pr protection system, uh, I feel it was prudent that I got out there and I I made sure that it was it was uh, okay for everybody else's use. <laughs> um, certainly didn't throw myself off the cliff, but uh, you know, just really wanted to check and make sure the anchors were in there. But it's very important for us, you know. Otherwise, we would have we'd have no other way of reaching that downstream side. Um, we do have some vegetation that grows across the top uh, just because of those crest cap additions. Um, so we're able to get down there and we're able to do some maintenance. Um, you know, our uh, construction maintenance guys probably don't don't love it nearly as much. But, um, you know, we did bring in a outside contractor last year to make sure we got 
suspended from the top all the way down to the bottom and removed all that vegetation on the dam. Because um, you, you have a bunch of individual blocks, you know, it's bound to, to have something kind of grow in between. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Okay, so let's let's continue down our system then. And uh, next we would reach the Dawson facility. Yeah, so the Dawson facility was built back in the early 1900s. Um, it originally just consisted of one reservoir. In the 80s, FERC was handing out uh, conduit exemptions. So the district went through and they built a hydropower facility on Dawson. That really split the lake into two different versions. So now today you will see that we have an upper reservoir and a lower reservoir. The upper reservoir has the powerhouse on it, um, it has an embankment dam, it has a spillway structure similar to the Overpour OG Weir at Don Pedro and also what LaGrange ultimately does. Um, moving downstream, you know, the original reservoir kind of became the tail racer where the water from the powerhouse just gets released. There's two dams that sit at that facility. There used to be a gated structure on the, uh, on the canal system. Uh, we removed that some years ago. Um, so really it just becomes a buffering reservoir at that point as it makes its way back into the upper main canal. Okay. And I, I want to circle back to something you mentioned, the, the FERC conduit exception. Uh, what what does that mean? That was something that happened in the 80s, but what did that mean for, for TID? Yeah, so FERC was really trying to push hydropower in the 80s. Um, so we took advantage of that. We, we were able to build the facility at Dawson. Um, so FERC does have jurisdiction, but it doesn't nearly get the their level of attention as like a Don Pedro does. Um, so, you know, it's, it's on their portfolio. They do inspect the powerhouse once every three years. But, you know, really the the main brunt of inspection is is left to the district. Okay. And uh, again, another exciting project that took place at the district recently. I understand uh, Dawson just got a new spillway structure. Yeah. So um, there was an existing bulkhead on the spillway structure. Um, we were able to remove that. It had been there for 40 years. Uh, it was starting to become a little, you know, rusted out. Um, we felt it was time. Um, so we added two new uh, eight foot by six foot 10 wide gates. Um, and really this just, it increased our efficiency when it comes to uh, water releases there. So obviously our, our main purpose for uh, the Don or the Dawson facility would be to push the water through the unit so we can generate off of it, you know, get that, that clean hydropower. Um, but in the event that that unit trips or comes offline, we want to make sure we, we buffer out um, that rising reservoir. And so really now the, these gates are programmed to simultaneously upon a unit trip to open and release that water so that there are zero interruptions really to the TID system. Okay. And that's some of that uh, automation that, that we've been talking about more recently as a district that, like you said, helps improve water, water use efficiency. Yep. And I definitely want to put the plug in there. You know, that, that project was, uh, was pretty much constructed by TID crews, whether it was the construction maintenance guys getting out there, removing the existing bulkhead, adding in the new concrete, installing the gates themselves. Um, our electronics department had a huge role in getting the automation, the controls part of it, you know, and getting that all the way back to our power control center so that, you know, those guys, they're able to just press a button if they want, they can put it in manual if they want, or it's automated. Um, sit back and, and not do anything and just watch it do its work. Very cool. So I, again, another one of those projects, and we've we've talked about this multiple times on previous episodes, um, that we've just got some crazy talented people here at TID that uh, that all work together to, to make these projects happen. So we're, uh, we're very appreciative of, of all the folks that worked on that project and so many others around the district. Yeah, definitely. A lot of great knowledge here in the district. All right. Okay, well, well, let's keep on with our journey down the uh, down the system and and come to Turlock Lake. So, yep, yeah, uh, Turlock Lake. It was completed in 1914. Um, you know, it gives us. It's really it's the last holding tank. It's a regulating reservoir for the district. Beyond that, water gets released into our main canal and it goes out to the farmers' fields. A majority of dam failures occur upon initial filling, and Turlock Lake was was no different. Um, so, in 1913, upon that initial filling, there was a failure around the outlet works, um, most likely a piping issue. Um, that took out a large chunk of that embankment. Um, you know, the district had to come back through and, and do a little uh, rebuild, but that's what led the ultimate completion in, in 1914. Well, I'm, I'm not glad that the failure happened, but I'm glad that you mentioned it because that gives me an opportunity to, to drop a teaser for 
a mini episode series that we're going to be launching on our podcast um, that talks about some of the lesser known but very interesting stories about TID history. And that's one of those. We're going to talk about the the initial failure of, of Turlock Lake. All so, right. I, so thanks for providing me the opportunity to get that in there. <laughs> oh, I look forward to hearing that one. But uh, yeah, so at Turlock Lake, we have a total of 18 saddle dams. Um, in the 1980s, you know, once again, with that FERC conduit exemption, uh, the district with district crews went out there and removed a portion of Dam A, as we call it, and built the powerhouse. So you mentioned that Turlock Lake acts as a, a regulating reservoir for the district. What is the total capacity of Turlock Lake? Yeah. Uh, so at certified elevation of 240.6, um, it comes out to about 45,600 acre feet of water. Um, so Turlock Lake, you know, if you've driven past it, it's pretty vast. It, it's not a super deep lake, um, large uh, area, acreage, um, not a whole lot of depth to it. And what goes into the inspections at Turlock Lake? Uh, as you can imagine, with 18 dams, uh, it takes quite a bit of time to go through all of those. Um, but we do, we do walk them. We do put our eyes on there. Um, you know, just because they're smaller, you know, they may not have as much significance to the overall um, facility itself. They're still equally important to us. You know, a failure at any one of those could cause um, some ma a major ripple effect to the district's operations. Very true. All right. And are there any other projects in the district that uh, fall under this, the ODSP? Yeah, there is one more. So we have what's called the Hickman Powerhouse. Um, so once again, with that FERC conduit exemption, um, the district decided to just build a powerhouse right in the middle of our main canal. So if you're ever driving out through Hickman, uh, located right behind Hickman Elementary, there's just a, there's a two-unit powerhouse on that one. Um, so because such a close proximity to the school, we have what's called a public safety plan. So each one of those signs out there is specifically marked. Um, you know, we're, we're just doing our due diligence to make sure, you know, the kids stay safe. Um, you know, once again, that gets inspected quarterly as well. Um, and also, you know, the town of town Hickman at that, at that point as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is a good number of projects to have to keep an eye on, on a regular basis. So we appreciate you uh, being here and, and giving us the breakdown on on all that. Is there anything else that you that you want to add? Yeah, you know, as we talked, you know, water coming down from Don Pedro and you know, ultimately going through our Hickman facility, just want to do a special plug to the hydropower. You know, as it makes its way through our system, one drop of water is has the ability to be uh, um, generated on four different times. So we're you know we're just using the resources that we have and and doing what we can um, for the future. And really maximizing those resources, it sounds like. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again uh, for being with us today and kind of walking us through everything that falls under the, the jurisdiction of, of your office as a Deputy Chief Dam Safety Engineer. Um, another fasc fascinating aspect of the district and, and what we do here. So thanks, Evan. Thank you both. Thank you for tuning in to the TID Water and Power Podcast. You can find TID on Facebook at facebook.com slash TurlockID, on Instagram and Twitter at TurlockID, and on LinkedIn as the Turlock Irrigation District. I'm your host, Constance Anderson. We'll see you again next time.